morning we're looking at John chapter 3, so if you will turn there. I'd like to read for us the first 17 verses. So John chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God weren't with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a, a man be born when he's old? Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In this chapter, we're introduced to a man that we're going to meet two more times in this gospel. His name was Nicodemus. That sounds like a Greek name to you. You're right. It was a Greek name. We don't know why a leader of the Jews had a Greek name, but he did. He was a man of considerable standing in first century Jewish society. He was a member of the ruling council, as the NIV translates it, the Greek says he was a ruler of the Jews, but that's probably what it means. He belonged to the Sanhedrin, which was the highest-ranking government body in Judaism. The closest parallel in our society would be serving as a U.S. senator, though in first-century Israel, council members served both as legislators and as high court justices. Nicodemus was a somebody. His introduction as a man of the Pharisees is unique in Scripture and may suggest he was highly regarded in his own party. Jesus refers to him as, in Greek, as the teacher of Israel. It's another allusion to this man's high standing. He came to Jesus at night. Now, there could be numerous reasons for that that we don't know anything about. But the fact that John reminds his readers of it more than once suggests that Nicodemus didn't want people to know that he went to see Jesus. 
He went under the cover of darkness. More than that, he went in darkness. He was in darkness. He was a guy who knew the Bible backwards and forwards. But he had a lot to learn about God. He had religion, but he was missing out on life. He was in darkness. But in Jesus, he saw something. He saw a light. And he wanted to know more. Nicodemus was probably worried that people would find out about him going to see Jesus. But you know what? Frankly, I'm impressed that he went at all. It would be like the Archbishop of Canterbury going to a young street evangelist. It showed humility. It showed a longing for truth. Nicodemus had a lot to lose by going to Jesus. If people found out that he was consulting a controversial upstart prophet, it might damage his reputation. His own party might lose confidence in him. Now, we need to understand what's been going on in Nicodemus's life. He had an insight. At some point, he had an insight. Jesus is a teacher who's come from God. That's what he says in verse 2. And it's clear that he wasn't the only one. Because he says, we know, there's a group of us, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. Others had the insight, but Nicodemus made a decision based on that insight. If God sent Jesus as a teacher, he was going to learn from him what he could. He made that decision, and he acted on it. And that's what we've been seeing again and again during the series. Insight, born of God's revelation, decision, and implementation. That's the process through which spiritual growth occurs. It's how people change, how you change. But Nicodemus's visit to Jesus was not what he expected. He expected a polite conversation on theological topics, some sharing of insights, a meeting of the minds. That's not what he got. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus what he wanted to hear. He told him what he needed to experience, told him abruptly, even brusquely, that he needed to be born again. It'd be like a young street evangelist telling the Pope he needed to get saved. Nicodemus was surprised, I think even a little offended, and he got sarcastic. How can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter into his mother's womb a second time, can he, and be born? He got snarky, but Jesus didn't get upset about it. He just continued to explain, and Nicodemus, to his credit, continued to listen. Jesus told him, Look, Nicodemus, you need to start over. You need a different kind of life, a kind that comes from God and not just from your parents, spiritual, not biological. With that kind of life, you can perceive the kingdom of God. You can actually live the life that you've been aiming at for all these years. Now, this seemed to fluster Nicodemus. He didn't like to be told that he, Israel's teacher, had missed the point and needed to start all over. And yet, that's only part of it. Jesus didn't just tell him that he needed to start over. He told him that he was himself the key to getting that new start. And that's not what Nicodemus was expecting at all. Stimulating conversation, yes. Some theological give and take, yes. But not this. Jesus keeps talking about the Son of Man. That was Jesus' favorite title for himself. He told him that the Son of Man had been in heaven, had come down from heaven. 
told him that the Son of Man must be lifted up like the snake had been lifted up in the wilderness. If you don't know that story, it's Numbers chapter 21. Told him only people who believe in the Son have any hope of eternal life. Even went so far as to say that God would condemn those who don't believe in him. That was shocking to Nicodemus. He'd never heard anybody talk like that. But he didn't seem crazy. That night when Nicodemus left, he must have felt baffled. Was he crazy? Or was he right? And if he was right, that meant Nicodemus was wrong. Did he really need to start over? Really need a different kind of life that he didn't have? Could he believe Jesus? Could he rely on him, take his stand with him? Nicodemus had more questions than he had answers when he left Jesus that night, which was just what Jesus intended. He understands that sometimes a person has to be unsettled before he can be resettled where he belongs. Maybe you're in the resettlement process yourself right now. If Nicodemus' wife was alive, we don't know whether or not she was, but he must have been married because he was a member of the council, and you had to be married to be a member of the council. If she was still alive, what a conversation they might have had that night. I can imagine Nicodemus pacing up and down the room, talking to himself, to his wife, to God. I just don't know. He, he's so like what I expected God's anointed to be. And he's so unlike. If he really is the one sent by God, I have to join him. I mean, I have to do it no matter what anybody thinks. But if I join him and he's not the one, that would be a disaster. The words that he heard that night must have come back to his brilliant mind again and again until they finally took up residence there. You must be born again. As the bronze snake was lifted up in the desert... So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, after chapter 3, we lose track of Nicodemus for a while. He's not mentioned. And we don't know what's going on in his life. Uh, We know he was still serving on the council and probably still teaching and keeping busier than he wanted to be. But I have no doubt that this encounter with Jesus stuck with him, haunted him. The next time Nicodemus shows up, it's in John chapter 7. In the intervening chapters, John has mentioned three religious festivals. That's how John keeps track of time in his gospel. So we know that many months have passed, perhaps more than a year. When Nicodemus shows up again at the end of chapter 7, people are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which was held in autumn. If Jesus was controversial when Nicodemus first met him, He was even more so now. Uh, There there was all kinds of uh, chaos around Jesus. Some right-wing extremists were even planning an assassination attempt. The religious leaders themselves were very unsettled. They felt like they needed to take a stand when it came to Jesus. But what stand? Most of them denounced him or at least distanced themselves from Jesus. He was explosive, and they didn't want to get caught in an explosion. Those were the leaders. The common people were a different story. Some of them believed that Jesus was God's long-awaited Messiah. 
Others thought he was a deceiver and a false prophet. John tells us that the people were divided because of Jesus. The two political, and I use that word even though it's not the right word, but we don't have the right word. The two political parties of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who got along like cats and dogs, who got along like Democrats and Republicans, actually joined forces when it came to Jesus. Both groups were worried for their own reasons that Jesus would start an uprising which they could ill afford. And so they dispatched, now this is John chapter 7, verse 32, they dispatched the temple police to arrest Jesus. When the police came back without him, this is verse 45, the Pharisees on the council felt betrayed. The Sadducees who oversaw the temple police, the Pharisees had nothing to do with the temple police, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees who oversaw the police, undoubtedly instructed them to arrest Jesus only if they could do so without creating a disturbance. A disturbance during one of the festivals was, was something they did not want to have happen. But that wasn't good enough for the Pharisees on the council. They were furious. Now, remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee of high standing. But he had kept his meeting with Jesus and his thoughts about Jesus a secret from everyone, with the exception, I think, of his good friend and fellow council member, Joseph of Arimathea. When the temple police returned without Jesus, the Pharisees were irate. I mean, they had a tizzy. When the police tried to justify their actions, things got even worse. One of the Pharisees sneered at them. You you mean he's deceived you too? Then with utter contempt, he asked them, has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Now remember, Nicodemus is standing there listening to this. Wouldn't you love to see the look on his face at this moment? No, but this mob, these idiots that know nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. That's the only explanation. They must be cursed to be so stupid. And that's when Nicodemus spoke up. And he couldn't take any more of this. He didn't actually say that he believed in Jesus. He just asked. That's all he did. Just asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? But his words caused his own party to erupt. They replied, John says, not one, but a group. Are you from Galilee too? See, the people in Judea, which is where most of the ruling class came from, maybe all of the ruling class, looked down on the people from Galilee. They said, are you from Galilee too? What's wrong with you? Look into it. You'll find the prophet does not come out of Galilee. They just spit the words out in disgust. They were like dogs showing their teeth. They hated Jesus. They hated him. And they hated anyone who would dare side with him. So here was Nicodemus standing up, albeit timidly, for Jesus You know, maybe he wasn't sure yet what he thought about Jesus. But you can bet this incident changed what he thought about his colleagues. He realized that it didn't even matter to them whether God sent Jesus or not. They hated him. They hated the idea of him. They wanted rid of him. That was a fresh insight to Nicodemus. Remember insight, decision, implementation? These were men he had known for years. 
men he'd worked with and prayed with, men who were highly regarded for their piety. And now he's seeing a different side of that piety and probably questioning his own. He's been one of these guys. See, not all the insights God allows us are comfortable ones. Some of them are downright painful. This was a painful one. When Jesus first talked to Nicodemus, Nicodemus had problems connecting to him. I mean, you read that passage we read earlier. They weren't on the same page. Jesus didn't carry himself like a Pharisee. He didn't talk like them. He didn't nod his head knowingly at the right moments. And frankly, he didn't seem all that religious. But after this experience for Nicodemus in chapter 7, after this experience, he realized that religion isn't everything. Compared to these stuffed shirt religious hypocrites, Jesus was like a breath of fresh air. His fellow council members told Nicodemus, they shouted at him, really, look into it. No prophet comes out of Galilee. But Nicodemus was a Bible scholar. He knew that one prophet did come out of Galilee, Jonah. Now, Jonah might not be the best prophet, but he was a prophet. And if they were wrong about that, might they not also be wrong about Jesus? They told him to look into it, and I think he did. After that, I suspect that he and his friend Joseph tried to hear Jesus speak whenever he was in Jerusalem. And the things they heard, they're like the word of God. They brought one insight to them after another. Their colleagues had shouted, looked into it. And the more they did, the more they learned. And one of the things they might have learned was this. Jesus wasn't from Galilee. He was born in, of all places, Bethlehem of Judea. No one knew better than Nicodemus what the Bible said about Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem, Nicodemus knew, was the place prophesied to be the birthplace of the Messiah. As Nicodemus listened to Jesus, he became more and more convinced that Jesus was the one, was God's Messiah. But when he heard Jesus talk, as he did more than once, about being lifted up, crucified? A terrible possibility unfolded before his mind. His own people, the very council he served on, might be complicit in the death of God's Messiah. It was insane. But I suppose he thought, as long as he and Joseph, and maybe a few others, were on the council, such a thing couldn't happen. They could prevent it. And that brings us to the last time we meet Joseph in the Bible. It comes in John chapter 19. The thing that he wanted to prevent the unthinkable, the unimaginable, was already happening. The Messiah was hanging on a cross, and he didn't learn about it until it was too late. 
Mark's gospel tells us, this is interesting, Mark's gospel tells us that the council's vote, the Sanhedrin's vote, to condemn Jesus was unanimous. And yet Luke tells us that Joseph, and I'm sure this was also true of Nicodemus, and perhaps a few others, did not consent to their decision to condemn Jesus. That can only mean one thing. When the nighttime emergency session of the council was called, Joseph and Nicodemus were not notified, and perhaps a few others. And surely that was intentional. The council leadership had a good idea of how they would vote. And since they wanted a unanimous vote, they weren't called. And it was festival time. It was easy to say our people tried to reach you, but they were unable to. None of the council members who might have stood up for Jesus were present when the vote was taken. So the next news Nicodemus heard about Jesus was that the Romans were executing him on a charge of insurrection. Think terrorism. It was a ridiculous charge, and Nicodemus knew it. But what could he do? It was too late. He couldn't step in. He couldn't stop it. It was out of his hands now and into the hands of the Roman governor. And so what could he do? It was time to walk away. He'd done his best. There was no reason to talk about it further. To make his position public now would be to risk his reputation and maybe even his office. Prudence dictated silence. But that's when his friend and fellow council member, Joseph, said, I'm not going to let them throw his body, the body of God's Messiah, in a mass grave in the Hinnom dump. I'm not going to do it. Joseph told Nicodemus he was going straight to the procurator, to the governor, Pilate, to ask permission to take Jesus' body down and give it a decent burial. Would Nicodemus help him? In a flash, Nicodemus knew what that would mean. He would be taking a stand with Jesus and against his old friends, against his party. He would be saying that the crucifixion was not evidence of God's judgment on Jesus, as the Pharisees were trying so hard to frame it, but of God's people's own sin and envy and wickedness, of the world's sin, because this is how the world treats God. They reject him. They don't want anything to do with him. Oh, God's all right if he keeps his distance and gives us what we want, but don't let him meddle. Don't let him give us what we need. To take a stand now, at this point, when it was too late to save Jesus, when it was too late, might mean losing his reputation, his influence, even his job. It would certainly mean making enemies of his colleagues. But I think Nicodemus realized it's never too late to take a stand if you're standing with God. This was not about his job or his reputation or his comfort. This was about whether he would stand with God or like his colleagues, stand against him. This was about the truth. He had a decision to make. And he had to make it now. Isn't that the way it works? He had to make it right now. Decisions, remember, must sometimes be made in a moment, but they always come out of a lifetime. They come out of our character. 
And how important it was now in this moment of decision that Nicodemus had taken time to hear Jesus and understand what he was about. That he'd gone to him, questioned him, dared to listen and to think. If he had not done so, he would have made the wrong decision. He would have certainly chosen reputation, lifestyle, comfort. But instead, he chose truth. Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus under the cover of darkness and with darkness inside of him, now stepped into the light. John 19 tells us that with Pilate's permission, Joseph came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And of the three times that John refers to Nicodemus, he always mentions that he had come to Jesus before. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. By doing what they did, and you understand what they're doing here, is giving him a proper Jewish burial ritual. Joseph and Nicodemus understood they were making themselves ceremonially unclean and unable to keep the Passover, one of the most important religious holy days of the Jewish year. But then they may have had another insight. Their Passover lamb had already been slain. I wonder what they thought when they placed his body in that tomb. Had they heard him say, and I think they had. In fact, this was common knowledge. It even comes out at his trial. Had they heard him say, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. It's also likely that they heard what Jesus told a fact-finding commission sent to him by the Pharisees. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. You think they had some inkling of the truth that this wasn't over yet? Let me bring this to a close. Because it's decision time for some of us, just as it was decision time for Nicodemus. But the kind of decision will differ from person to person. Some of you here this morning, like Nicodemus, when he first met Jesus, might have to decide whether you're going to continue to investigate. Is the life Jesus promised really available to people? Is Jesus really someone that you should listen to? Does he reveal to God to us? Did he die so that your sins could be forgiven and you have a fresh start? You need to make a decision. I will or I will not look into this further. Not to decide is to decide not to. Will you keep coming to church? Will you read the Bible or a book on the Christian life? Will you call up the pastor and say, hey, I got some questions? It's decision time. But you know what? 
Some of you may have already seen enough to believe that Jesus can do all these things. You've had the insights. Now you must decide whether you'll trust him and and give your life to God or not. If you do, you know that's going to mean change. And that's scary. If you don't, you know it's going to mean the same old thing. And that's even scarier. It's decision time. What do you choose? Let's bow our heads and pray together. In a moment, we're going to be coming to the communion table. And I want to encourage you, if this is your decision time, would you decide right now, I'm going to be God's person. With his help and by his grace, it's time. I'm going to be his person. I believe Jesus died for me, that he rose again. I believe that he can give me a new life, and I want it. And I'm going to take it. Would you tell God that? You don't have to use all the right words or, or some rote statement. All you have to do is talk to God and tell him. Give yourself to him right now. God, look on us in your mercy and hear our prayers because of Jesus Christ.